but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You guys pray with me this morning. And um, as we pray, uh, we're going to remember just our brothers and sisters that are in the Middle East this morning. I don't know, hopefully you guys know and are aware of what is going on. Um, They're being crucified, they're being beheaded, all sorts of stuff. And and we got to remember, we walked down the street, the hardest thing we had to do is somebody had to park on 67th. That's the biggest sacrifice you made this morning. Uh, They, if they are gathering, are doing so at great risk. And so we're just going to remember them. They don't ask for escape, which is amazing. They're asking for perseverance in their prayer. So let's just pray for them, remember them, um, and uh, remember those who have fallen for the name of Christ, and then we'll worship through the word. Heavenly Father, I am grateful for freedom to come to preach with no fear. Uh, Biggest fear I have is someone that maybe doesn't like my sermon. That's about it. But many of our brothers and sisters gather and fear for their lives, that they might lose their head for the name of Jesus. I pray that you would give them strength to persevere. Help them. Make them strong. And make their testimony so that even if they lose their life, that there might be a future Apostle Paul among ISIS. That someone would repent and turn and believe because they see the testimony of the saints and their hope in God. We ask you to do great things and change the heart of these terrorists. You have done so in the past, and you will do so in the future for your great name's sake. I pray as we listen to your word, I got a lot of text, Lord. I got a, a lot that you've put in my heart. Help me to be clear. Help me to be true and accurate. And above all, help me to honor and exalt Christ, our Savior, our God. I ask that your spirit would please fall fresh on me. Lord, we have nothing. If, if your spirit is not moving then we are deaf and dumb and blind. And so please open the hearts of your people and the eyes of your people. Let us hear truth so that we know how to apply it. Let us move and, and leave as different people. Um, and, and that is a work of your spirit, which I acknowledge I cannot do. So please help me. For the name of Christ and his reputation, I pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a seat. And I'm not going to lie, we got a lot to cover and not a lot of time, so there is no opening illustration. It's turn to Acts 21. That's your illustration, all right? Because we got five chapters, a lot to go. Hopefully you did your homework. If you did your homework, raise your hand. You read ahead. Like three of y'all. Really? Like three of y'all. Okay, everyone is going to go to purgatory for at least two years for that. <laughs> Next week, 27, 28, read ahead, please, because it, it just makes, you will be much better prepared. for the sermon if you read ahead, especially when we got lots of of text to cover. Many moons ago, we started this book back in August, got a couple weeks left, but we saw in chapter 9 this this dude named Saul of Tarsus. He was a bad dude. 
He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He was killing them. He was chasing them down, doing all he could to stop Christianity. On his way to arrest some Christians, God shows up, blinds him, says, now you're going to be mine. Go to this town and wait for me to tell you what to do. At the meantime, he talks to this guy, Ananias, and says, I got this guy. His name's Saul of Tarsus. I want you to go find him. Ananias is like, you mean Saul of Marsus? Because the Saul of Tarsus, I know, is a bad dude. So there must be another guy that sounds like this guy. And God's like, no, that's my dude. And here's why. This is what he says to him. He says, go for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. What Ananias cannot fathom is God says, I have chosen this wicked, evil, hateful dude. He is mine. I have a purpose for him. I have a plan for him. He's going to take my name before Israel, before Gentiles. He's going to go all the way to mighty Caesar himself with my name. And I've chosen him to be the guy. Right? And here, here's, here's where we're at today. You are not going to be chosen to be the Apostle Paul. And you're not chosen to write books of the New Testament. That is not God's will for your life. I'm just telling you. If you're wondering, should I write Bible books? No, you should not. Okay, that's what we we put you under the flame when you do that kind of stuff, right? That's what they have in the past. So that's not God's will for your life. But just because you're not going to be an apostle or write scripture, or maybe you'll never go and stand before presidents and kings, it does not make you any less chosen by God. Because before the foundation of the world, he chose Paul, he chose you, right? And maybe your journey is not going to go to Rome or, or stand before kings or presidents, whatever. But God has nevertheless, he has provided and chose for you a physical journey and a spiritual journey that he has called you to, that he has appointed you to. And yours may be completely dissimilar from Paul's. But here's what is the same between Paul's and ours. It is a hard journey, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It is challenging, it is arduous, it requires endurance because we live in a broken world with broken people and sinfulness. And so my goal this morning is this. We're going to look at 21 to 26. We're going to take big picture. We're going to move fast. We're going to see Paul on his way to Rome. He's going to Rome. He's going to stand before Caesar. We're going to see the first half of that this week, the second half next week. And I'm just going to kind of going to walk you through the story real quick and we'll come back and take a few pieces because I want you to have strength to endure. Some of you are in a great place right now, some of you are not. Wherever you are, physically, spiritually, emotionally, I want you to have strength to endure. I want you to endure to the end and persevere. I want you to, to recognize, if nothing else, that you, if you are a Christian, are chosen by God. You are his chosen instrument, and there is a purpose and a plan for your life. It is to declare and make his name great. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So hopefully you'll have some strength and some encouragement from this text. Let's go. All right? Here's where we're at. Two weeks ago when, when Cain preached, we left off. Paul was in Ephesus. He's leaving Ephesus. It's the end of the third missionary journey in essence. And he is determined in his heart to go to Jerusalem. All his friends are like, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. He's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're like, no, yes, no, yes. And even a prophet comes in, in Acts 21. And while they were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go. And Paul said, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready 
Not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Stop. So Paul is going. So he gets to Jerusalem. And what happens is James and the brothers, they all, they all gather with him. And they're like, dude, we love you. But every time you show up, it's a mess. Okay? You just, it just, everything gets crazy. So here's what we want you to do. All right, there's all these rumors that you're telling all the Gentiles that they don't need to obey Moses and all these things. And we know that you love Moses and stuff. But, so here's what I want you to do. Number one, go down to the temple and purify yourself. Go through all the rituals. Number two, there's these guys that are under a vow. Pay for their vow. And then go make an offering in Jerusalem. That'll keep these guys kind of appeased. They'll think, okay, he's not such a bad guy after all. Paul says, no problem. To the Jew, I'm a Jew. To a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. So he goes to the temple. He does all these things. And everything's great. It's just phenomenal. Until a couple Jews from Asia show up. They're there for the Feast of Pentecost. They look over and there's Paul. And they're like, that's the dude. That's the dude. He started all up it. And they just get everyone riled up. And everyone's crazy. And the city's just going nuts. In verse 30, all the city was stirred up. The people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple. At once the gates were shut. And they were seeking to kill him. And word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. I mean, everyone's running. Did you hear the phone? What's going on? Go to the temple and everyone's running that way. And the tribune, who was the equivalent of a colonel, in essence, in the army. So he's a big dude. He's a higher up. He's over 1,000 plus people, right? He's, he's like, what's going on? The city's in, and he's going to get blamed. So what does he do? He arrests Paul because he seems to be the troublemaker. And he takes him. And he's like, well, who are you? Are you this guy that caused the insurrection before? No, I'm not that guy. And he somehow, Paul in his slickness, gets this, this tribune to let Paul address the crazy crowd. And so Paul addresses the crowd. And, he, and here's what he says. He's just going to tell his story, chapter 22, verse 3. I am a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Remember, he was a Pharisee. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering prison both men and women as the high priest. And the whole council of the elders can bear witness. Bear witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And then he's going to go on, and he's going to say, on the way, Jesus shows up. I go blind. They take me into town. Ananias shows up. I get baptized. And he walks through the whole story. And then he says, and I, and I didn't want to go back to Jerusalem, but Jesus told me, go back to Jerusalem in verse 19. And I said, Lord, they know that, that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, everything up to that point was great. He says that. And it's like, ah, it's crazy again. Kill him. Throw him out. Ah. Tribune's got to come in again. All right. Saves him. Stretches him out. They're going to flog him because this guy, these Romans, they don't get the whole kind of Jewish thing going on, battle and fighting over all these things. So he's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. He gives him to a centurion who's like equivalent of a captain. Centurion stretches him out. He's about to flog him. And Paul looks over and says, is this legal? I mean, I'm a Roman citizen. Is this legal? It's not. The centurion runs to this colonel and says, dude, what's going on? I'm about to flog a Roman citizen without a trial. Tribune says, What? Runs in, says, are you a Roman citizen? He says, I am. He says, how did you become a Roman citizen? I had to buy mine. 
I was born this way. All right? My parents were citizens. I was born with citizenship. Now he's in a mess. Everyone out there is going crazy. He's in trouble because he's about to flog a citizen. It's a mess. And so he wants to get to the bottom of this. He grabs the high priest, grabs the Pharisees, grabs the statues, bring them all in the room, puts Paul before him. He's like, what's going on? The high priest, punch, they punch Paul. Paul's like, you're a whitewashed tomb. It's great. It's all this action. Right? But then Paul realizing, I got Pharisees over here. I got Sadducees over here. I got a bunch of... He, he perceives that one part Sadducees, other part Pharisees. He cries out to the council, brothers... I am a Pharisee, son of Pharisees. It's with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Why? Because the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. Pharisees do. So now they're yelled, ah! And now he's like, ah! And it's a mess. And so the tribune has to come in again and rescue him because they're about to tear Paul apart and tear each other apart, and he brings them out. And they don't know what to do, right? They just, don't, they just do not know what to do with this guy, Paul. Right? But this, in the middle of that, God shows up in verse 11. Don't miss this. Underline it in your Bible. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome. You're going to Rome. You will tell people in Rome about me. Well, next thing that happens, there's an assassination plot. These Jews are like, 40 days, I'm not going to eat. 40 Jews said, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until Paul's dead. Funny. They're so passionate about the law that they're going to go murder somebody, right? This is what religion does. It stoop, makes you stupid, makes you blind. We love the law so much, we're going to go break commandment number, it's just silly, right? It's just silly, but that's what they do. But just so happens in God's providence that Paul's nephew overhears the plan. He tells the tribune. Tribune sends almost 500 troops with Paul. They ain't attacking 500 troops. And they ride to Felix, the governor. He's kind of the big wig. He's in charge. They're going to put him on trial before Felix. Felix says, bring it on. Jews show up. Paul's over here in his corner. Jews show up. They got their big lawyer. His name is Tertullius. He's their one call. That's all guy. And they start going at it. And he's talking, he was this. He did this. He did this. And Felix says, okay, Paul, what is your, what is your answer? And here's what Paul says. Verse 10, chapter 24. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and it was written in the prophets." having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and present an offering. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple. All right, this is what James told them to do, remember. Without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia, and I love Paul, he's getting kind of snarky now. They ought to be here. Before you and make an accusation, should they have anything against me? Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you to this day. Now, Felix knows all about Jewish culture, he knows all about Christians. And verse 22, Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, 
He put him off saying, when Lysias the Tribune comes down, I'll decide your case. It's later. I'll deal with you later. Put you in the system. And he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty. None of his friends should be prevented from attending. So he's kind of house arrest. He's got, but they're allowed to visit him and they're allowed to meet his needs. And Felix, and we'll come back to this later. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Right? And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, which Felix has none of because he married this girl when she was 16. It was his third wife, her second wife. Now they're 19 and they're a mess. But he's alarmed when he hears this. And he says, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped money would be given him. He wants a bribe. And what happens is he just leaves him there for two years. Two years. Paul just sits. Because he wants to do the Jews a favor. So he just leaves him in jail. Now, his term comes up. New guy comes in named Festus. Felix Festus. You looking for a name for your, your, your boy? There you go. They're great names. Next guy's name's Agrippa. I'll give you $10 you name your kid Agrippa. It's a great name. What's your name, son? Agrippa. Awesome. No, it's not. Don't do it. All right. That's not, don't do that, please. All right, so the next guy comes in, and he, he's got to stand before now Festus. And Festus wants to send him back to Jerusalem to stand before the Jews and do his trial then. And Paul says, I am not going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem. It's not going to happen. Okay, they've brought me to you. I'm standing before the court of Caesar. And he says this, if I am a wrongdoer and I've committed anything for which I deserve to die, I don't seek to escape death. But if there is, there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen to do. It's the high court. It's the supreme, supreme court. It was one of these things a Roman could do. And so then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, to Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. You are going to Rome, Paul. I'm sending you on a ship. Now, before that happens, the king, Agrippa, and his sister, who is his wife, which is gross, She's not officially his wife, but she's functioning as his wife. They come down to greet their new governor, Festus. And Felix is like, look, I got this guy, Paul. I got him from Felix. He's been in jail for two years. I don't even know why I got him. I don't even know why he's in jail. Something about a resurrection, something about this. Uh, but he keeps talking. But, but he's appealed to Rome. I can't send him to Rome. There's no charges. I don't even know what he's going for, but I got to put him on a ship and send him to Rome. I'm going to look like an idiot. And Agrippa's like, I want to hear from him. He's like, you can hear from him tomorrow. So the next day, there's Agrippa, there's Benice, there's Festus, there's Paul. And what does he do? The same thing he's done already twice. He just tells his story. I was this, persecuting, hating Christians. Jesus shows up, changed my life. Here's what I am now. Boom. And right at the end of his story, Festus, verse 24, as he's saying these things, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. This is not good sermon etiquette. All right? So don't stand up in the middle of the sermon. You're a crackhead, Bill. I know. <laughs> right, just email me later, okay? He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. You are crazy. Paul says, I'm not crazy. And he looks at Agrippa. And he says, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? You trying to make me a Christian, Paul? You've only been here like 10 minutes. You're already trying to make me a Christian. And I love Paul's response. He, in essence, says, I absolutely am. And whether it's short or long, I would, be, I would to God that not only you, 
But all who hear me, you and Festus and that crackhead Felix who let me stay here for, and everyone, this guy is sitting next to me in chains. Every single one of you will become just as I am, except I don't want him in jail. All right? That's again a little humor from Paul. Except for these chains. Make him a Christian, just don't put him in jail. All right? So I'm telling everybody about what Jesus has done for me. And, and Agrippa and Festus, they go to the back. They withdrew and they said to another, this man's doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And Paul's like, oh, thanks for telling me. Appreciate that. Now, right? He could be go free. But he's not. He's going to get on a boat. We'll see that next week. If that story feels a little chaotic to you, that's because it is. That's Paul's life. Okay, everywhere he goes, this is what he does. It just is chaos. And so if you feel like your life is chaos, just read this again. And you'll be like, okay, it's not so bad. But what can we gather from kind of this trial to trial and testimony to testimony and all these things? What, what, what can we find encouraging and even challenging for us? Here's six things that kind of stand out. And I've read through these five chapters, I don't even know how many times, just in one sitting, over and over and over, just looking for repetition, looking for things that stand out. And six things stood out to me, maybe other things to you, but six things stood out to me. And, and I want to share them with you. Here's the first one that stands out to me, okay? The importance of people in the life of Paul. It's easy to think that Paul's is, you know, Paul's is Paul. Lone wolf, stud, goes out there, does it all on his own. He's the man. Woo, Paul. That, that's not the case. In fact, it, it, you see he, these people are there praying with him. He's like, they're breaking my heart. You, you see them meeting his needs. How vital is it when, when they get to come and meet his needs? They gave orders to the centurion. He should be kept in custody, have some liberty. I mean, he's hungry. It's like, dude, I just want one of them kosher hot dogs from Big Al's up on first. Could you go get me one? Yeah, I'll go get you one. He's got Luke there. This is one of the we portions of, of the book of Acts where it says, we did this, we did this. So Dr. Luke is there. In fact, if you read the rest of the New Testament, when is it that Paul is at his lowest? It's when everyone has abandoned him. When he says, man, Demas, having loved this present world, he's left me. Everyone's left me. I'm alone. Paul needed people. And here's what I really appreciate about it. He had friends that were so close that they they felt completely free to tell the Apostle Paul, you're wrong. Would you go tell the Apostle Paul he was wrong? They did. They're like, Paul, you should not go to Jerusalem. That is wrong. How humble do you have to be when you're the Apostle Paul to give people access to your life to speak to you? See, that's where I think some of you I'm going to be blunt. I can be blunt. All right? You are arrogant. And you don't listen to nobody. And you don't want to hear from nobody. And you need to realize, I don't care how successful you are in the world and how many people you say jump and they say how high. I don't care. You need people to tell you where you're at. And you need to listen. And you actually need to give people access to yourself. That you just have to, you have to, please, and you have to invite. When you see me acting like a knucklehead, please tell me. Tell me. You need to give them that authority to speak in your life. And you think, oh, I don't need that. You absolutely need that. Because if you think you don't need that, you are the most arrogant person in this room. And you're the one who needs it the most. That's the way it is. You need to acknowledge that you have physical needs 
and spiritual needs and emotional needs that you cannot meet on your own. Paul has physical needs. How great is it that the Apostle Paul, because if he gets a cold, usually he just like, boop, heal myself, right? Because he's got the power to heal himself. But how awesome is it he has physical needs and he lets other people meet him? That's humility. That's what we need to be. That's the body. Some of you need to give others access to your life. And here's the hard part about that. Sometimes you're going to do that and people are going to be wrong. They're wrong. Don't go to Jerusalem. Who's right, the Holy Spirit or his buddies? Holy Spirit. They're wrong, but that's okay. When we told people we're going to seminary, God is calling me to seminary, out of peak teaching and coaching in the seminary, there were people that told us, you're crazy. You should not do that. You got a three-month-old and a 20-month-old. You should not go to seminary. You are not that smart. You were AP, that's why you're a PE teacher, all right? There was people that told us that. There was other people that said, you absolutely should go. One of my mentors now, who I love dearly, and I go to, he said, I, I don't think you need to go to seminary. Oh, really? Tell me why. Now, when someone tells you, I think you're going in the wrong direction, make sure they line up with Scripture, because they could be saying that just because they think something, and if it doesn't line up with Scripture, then, well, that doesn't mean you're right then. But the point is this. Sometimes people are going to be wrong. That's okay. You still need them, because you're wrong sometimes. Right? You, you, you need to come back to what God is leading you to do. People, if, if you were getting discouraged, and some of you, you told me your story. You're getting baptized, and your, your mom was like, why are you getting baptized? I baptized you when you were one year old. That's a hard conversation. Some people said, don't do it. You need to leave that dude. He's a jerk of a husband. You need to leave him. What does God say? What does your friend say? You got to come to that point. You, you're, you're leaving a career because you want to stay home with the babies. But you have a master's. You have an MBA. You're super smart. You're super gifted. Yeah, but I want to be here with my kids right now. Don't do it. Don't leave it. What are you going to do? What God's calling you to do? Sometimes it's, your people that are speaking into your life are wrong. But point being, it doesn't change the fact that you still need them. And I need them. All right? I need them. I got people speaking into my life. Here's another thing. If you feel free to speak into other people's lives, you better be letting them speak into your life. We don't have one-way conversations here. If you feel like you're going to go, oh, I'm going to tell him this and this, you better open yourself up because no one wants to hear a critic. When you're opening yourself up, that gives you the platform to say it. Don't be talking if you're not listening. Let me talk to the single folks for a minute. He's got a lot of single folks looking to get married, some of you. When you are looking for a spouse, look for somebody not who just looks good in skinny jeans. Because they won't fit into them in 10 years. Okay? Look for someone who you can be a friend to. Someone who will tell you the truth now. Because if they don't tell you the truth now, they're not going to tell you when they're married. All right? Someone that, you can, someone that you can share a bathroom with. Some of you, and I'm not saying lower your standards. I would never say that. But here, here's the thing. Some of, you, some of you ladies are looking for John Piper and Tom Cruise's body. There's only one, and it's right here, y'all. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please, don't quote me. That one won't go on the web. Okay. Hey, there's something, just so you know, young ladies, I know you want a mature dude. I get that. But here's the thing. God uses marriage to mature dudes sometimes. In fact, it's one of the most sanctifying things there is. So don't be discouraged if you may be ahead of some of these guys. It's okay. Marriage will shape him up, sharp him up. I promise you. 
None of us were ready to get married. Any of you men were like, yeah, I was ready to get married. Raise your hand. Are you ready to get married? Nobody. And if you raise your hand, I'll call you a liar. All right, okay. Nobody was ready, but marriage has a way of sanctifying you. So ladies, just, just be encouraged. And guys, same thing. Somebody that's going to tell you the truth, not tell you how cute you are. Because you ain't going to be cute in 25 years. This is what you end up right here. Right? But that's okay. Look for a friend. We need people is the point. You need community. Lone wolf Christians get eaten. That's what happens. All right? Next one. And this is my least favorite of all because it's the hardest, but it's probably the truest. It's patience. Have you thought about how much of your life is about patience and waiting? Waiting in the driveway for your wife and the kids. Waiting on Duran. Waiting in the doctor's office. Waiting to get pregnant. Waiting for deployments to end. Waiting to get married. Waiting for clarity in where God wants me to go. Waiting for a job. Waiting to sell a house. Waiting for bathrooms. Waiting for a building. Waiting for wavered children. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And waiting stinks. Let's acknowledge it. It stinks. Right? But understand this, that waiting is also one of the greatest tools that God has to shape you. And if you don't believe me, read the Old Testament. How many guys waited? How long did Abraham wait for a kid? How long did Moses wait in the wilderness? How long did Joseph wait in jail? How long did David wait for the kingdom? How long did Jeremiah wait for someone to listen to him? How long did Nehemiah wait till he got an opportunity with the king? Waiting, waiting, waiting. Paul is waiting for two years. Can you imagine? He doesn't have a court date. He's not even guilty. He's just bored out of his wits, has a promise that he's going to Rome. I know I'm going to Rome. When? I could have been on like two missionary journeys by now. And all I'm doing is sitting here, waiting, waiting. But here's the thing. Don't waste waiting. Because here's the, the, the reality is this. Life, most of life takes place waiting for something in the middle of that. We have these, you know, five or six, ten maybe big events in our lives. You know, graduating high school, graduate college, some of us, you know, get through boot camp, getting married, first kid, Getting the kids out of the house, retirement, job change. Those are big events. Where does life take place? In the middle of big events. And if all you're looking for is the next big event, there is a lot of life in the middle there. A ton of life. Right? If all you're waiting for is that big deal to go through at work and then it'll all be good, you are going to miss a ton of games of catch with your little boy. You're going to miss that. You're going to miss a bunch of meals with your family and a bunch of little soccer games. If you just cannot wait to get these kids out of the house, you're going to miss a lot of Saturday morning pancakes and snuggles with little kids at night in bed. You'll miss it. If all you're looking for is to get out of college and get in the real world, you're going to miss all these international students that you could be loving on. You're going to miss a roommate who doesn't have a parent. You just can't wait to get out of high school. You're going to miss that girl that has no friends, that is suicidal, and you have no clue, and you missed her because you're walking by. You just can't wait to go to prom. You just can't wait for the next big thing. You're going to miss ministry right in front of you. If Paul, just thinking about Rome, he misses his conversations with Felix. He misses his conversations with Festus. He misses conversations with Agrippa. He misses a centurion that's chained to him. He misses all his buddies. He misses any letters he may write. He doesn't write any scripture in this context, but he does write, I'm sure, many letters because Paul wrote more than just the canonical scripture letters. He wrote to churches all the time. A lot of ministry. If we're just waiting for building, 
we got two and a half months still building. There's a lot of gospel sharing. There's a lot of reconciliation. There's a lot of prayer that is going to take place in the next couple months. i got weddings. We're going to have funerals. We're going to have it all. In that, and if we're just looking for the big things, we miss life. At the end, no one's going to care about the big events, the diploma, the all. Life is lived in the middle, y'all. Don't miss it. And don't waste it. It is one of the most sanctifying things. And if you're, if you're in the middle of waiting, just ask God, what are you trying to teach me here? I can promise you, he wants, to, he wants you to know. Patience. Next one's providence. I got the P theme going on, y'all. Channeling my Baptist, I got my tie, I got the P's, I'm gold. But providence, what I mean by providence is God is completely sovereign over every single thing that happens in the universe, down to the microscopical atom down to the nucleus, down to the whatever's in the nucleus. He is sovereign over that. He is upholding all things by his right hand. He is in charge of everything. And he's directing it as according to his sovereign providential will. If I was running the universe, it would look different, I promise. I would be taller. I'd be smarter. But the world rarely runs the way I think it should run. Now, I'm sure it's the same way for Paul. I'm sure Paul is thinking... Sitting in jail for two years, not a plan. Getting arrested, not in my plan. But you know what? Because he's arrested, his life is saved. Because if not, they're going to tear him limb for limb. So that being arrested actually saves his life. I'm sure being an assassination attempt is not comforting and warm and fuzzy for old boy. But in God's providence, out of all the thousands of people in Jerusalem, it just so happens that his nephew overhears, come on. His nephew, the one guy in all Jerusalem that actually likes Paul, overhears the conversation and is able to tell the tribute. And instead of Paul walking to Caesarea in chains, he gets to ride a horse with 500 soldiers guarding him. God's providence. God's providence is so, it's, it's just so mind-boggling that even before Paul was born, God ordained that he would be born of two Roman citizens so that at one point in his life he could escape one beating, thank the Lord, and appeal to Caesar so that he could go and get him to Rome. God uses his citizenship that he had nothing to do with to get him to Rome so that he could preach the gospel in Rome. That's God's providence. And what we need to do, look, I know that things are not running some way, for some of you the way it, you, you would do it. But what you have to do, back and step back and see, God sees this deal from the whole big picture. He is transcendent. He is above all things. Not only is he involved in the details, but he is beyond all the details. It's the amazing thing of, of, of who God is. And he controls the little minute things, but the big things as well. And you need to start looking from his perspective of what he is doing big picture, even if you don't get it in the minute. What is God doing? And, and, and start looking for God's providence in these little things, even though it's hard. Just this week, some of you this week, you drove by Greg McGinney's shop, one of our elders, right? You saw the truck in the middle of the, of the window, right? It's truck leaving CBC, ironically, with sheetrock. 68th Street, guy has a seizure right at the end. Boom, gas. Boom, right through the front of Greg's shop, right? Full tire still spinning because the guy is seizing still. But here, here's the thing about that. Here's God's providence in that. Greg's shop is all glass, all glass, except for one two-foot brick pylon right in the front, okay? If this guy is two feet, three feet this way, 
it runs right through and runs over Greg, which some people might be upset about, maybe not everybody, <laughs> but some people would be upset about. If he's two feet to this side, he runs correct, right through the building and probably comes out the back, because this is a 800 horsepower truck, fully floored, all right, with a glass building. He's going through. But in God's providence, he hits a pole and stops. And then I find out after first service, in God's providence, one of our members, PA student, was the first car that slammed on brakes as this car went by, all right, right there. She could have been clipped, boom, driver's side of this truck. God's providence, she sees it right before it happens, and she is spared getting smoked by this truck. That's God's providence. You say, well, it's still the shop. Yeah, and so, no one lost their life. Those are God's little things that he does. He directs a truck. He directs the universe and the millions of galaxies and a truck that it would hit this one pylon so that people's lives are saved. That's what he does. And we need to start seeing how amazing his providence is, even if we don't necessarily understand it. And that leads to the next P, which is promises. Here's the reality. And this is, this is the hardest thing about my job. In God's providence, he is going to allow some of you, and some of you are right here right now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's going to allow cancer in your family. He already has. You have it. He's allowed that. Some of you are going to have miscarriages. Some of you, if you are married, most all of us, and some of, this is some of y'all's story now, you are going to be a widow or a widower at some point in your life. Some of you are going to have major issues with your teenager. You're going to lose a job. Right? There's going to be tragedy. I'm, I'm not wishing that on anybody, but that's going to happen. We live in a broken world. And the question is this. Where are you going to go when that happens? What are you going to do? You go to the promises of God. And that's not some simplistic reductionist solution. That's not some Christianese. That is what we do. Where is Paul going? I guarantee that Paul, as he sits there in year two, thinking, when am I going to Rome? He's going to go back to what God says. Take courage. You're going to Jerusalem. I mean, you're going to Rome. That's going to get him through shipwrecks. That's going to get him through all these other things because God has spoken. And if God has spoken, it is true. You need to start clinging, some of you, to some of these promises because you got nothing else, right? I love the psalmist. We looked at it this summer. He says, he talks to himself, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil? What's the solution? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. My soul is cast down within me. So what do I do? I remember you. Some of you just need to remember the promises of God. If there is no God, then we have, we have reason to dismay. But there is a God. He is our God. The same God who gives us the promise. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This is a verse we throw out a lot. Look, just, just because God is allowing cancer doesn't mean you know why. I don't know why some of you are still single and you want to be married. I don't know why some of you are struggling financially. I don't have the answer why cancer has hit you when you're 42 and this guy's 96 and he's run marathons. 
I don't know, and you don't either. But here's what I do know, that God somehow in his goodness can work that for good. Well, I don't see it. You may never see it, but I know it's true. Why? Because he has said so, and he cannot lie. And that's where I got to go. I love the, the, the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, probably the best preacher, save maybe, I don't know, Paul wasn't a great preacher, so maybe better, but one of the best preachers in Christendom who struggled with huge bouts of depression. Here's what he says. He's a handsome lad, isn't he? He says, I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. I always get back again by this. I know that I trust Christ. I have no reliance but in him. And if he falls, I shall fall with him. I love that. But if he does not, I shall not. Because he lives, I shall live also. And I spring to my legs again and fight with my depressions of spirit and get the victory through it. And so may you do. And so you must, for there is no other way from escaping it. And when I am attacked, when I, get, when I struggle, I, I have some promises I cling to. The, one of the biggest ones I cling to is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Why? Because constantly I got to stand up in front of you and, and tell you what God says, and I am a sinner. And Satan's there thinking, yeah, you're going to tell him all this preacher man stuff, and you did this to your kids this week, and you did this to your wife this week, and you thought this thought. Who are you to say it? And I got to come back to the, Yeah, but Jesus says if I confess my sins, he will forgive me, Period. So shut up, Satan. Right? And, and you need those promises to cling to. Maybe just one or two. Here's a great one for some of you that are struggling. Psalm 34, a great psalm. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of you need to cling to that one because that's where you're at. If he falls, I will fall with him. Promises of God are essential for the journey. Essential. Two more quick ones because I'm running out of time. Next one is power. Here's what I mean by that. There is power in the story of your life. There is something powerful about the story of a changed life. What does Paul do three times? He says, this is what I was. This is who I am. This is how I came to Christ. This is who I am now. Why does he keep coming back to his story? Because it's powerful. Because when Jesus saves a sinner, it's powerful. You're like, yeah, but I got saved when I was seven. I never really did anything wrong. It's just as much blood of Christ. It's just as much wrath of God you were owed if you were saved from the pew or saved from the jail. And there is somebody that will resonate with your story, and they need to hear it. God has given you a story. He has given you a platform. Some of you have a past, and you don't need to be ashamed of it anymore, because if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You need to stop going to your guilt and shame, and you need to point people to reconciliation and redemption in Christ. Your story is powerful. And you say, I don't know how to tell it. Who were you before Christ? How did you come to Christ? Now what are you? That's it. That's your story. That's all Paul does. I was a, a Pharisee. I hated Jesus. Jesus showed up, opened my eyes. Now I realize he's my savior. He's God. He died on a cross for sins. Now I'm this. That's your story. Right? And don't go tell him that everything, oh, I came to Christ and now my marriage is perfect. My kids are perfect and I'm a millionaire. Okay? If that's true, don't tell him that to everybody because that's not normal. All right? Tell him I still sin, but I, but I have a savior who has forgiven me. Point him back to the resurrection. That's what Paul does. I am here testifying about the resurrection from the dead. That's what he goes three times. Point him to the resurrection of Jesus. My life points to the fact that he lives. 
That's your story, and it is powerful. And here's the last one. Here's where I did a little homiletical kind of fun just because I needed P's and five P's and one S don't work very well, so I needed five P's. But here it is. It's person, and here's what I mean by it. That all your waiting and all God's providence and all the people he's put in your life and all the promises of scripture he's given to us and the power of your story is about ultimately one thing. It is about making much of the person of Jesus Christ and making you more like him. It's about sanctifying you and changing you so that you are more and more every day like Jesus Christ until one day he returns and you get a glorified body and and you will be like him, perfect. Sinless body, redeemed, his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness forever and ever, in a body that lives forever. And I don't know, for those of you who did your homework and you read ahead, I don't know if you picked up the similarities between Paul's story and Jesus' story, but they are uncanny, the similarities. Both of them headed to Jerusalem. Both of them have friends trying to stop them from going to Jerusalem. Both know what waits them in Jerusalem. Both stand before kings. Both are falsely accused. Both are lied about. Both cause riots. Both are threatened their life and people want to kill them. Both stand before the high priest. Both are struck. Both are declared innocent by those who are there standing trial before. I mean, it's just, it's like almost the same story. The only difference is Paul gets away and Jesus dies. And Paul eventually will die in Rome. But here's the thing. God is about making you more like his son so that you will make much of him. Let him. Let him. If you are a Christian, you are his instrument. He chose you before the foundation of the world, and he wants to make you more like his son. And he's going to use his providence, and he's going to use people, and he's going to use his promises, and he's going to use all these things to make much of himself. Here's what Paul says in Colossians. We'll close with this. He says to them, and this is by way of application of us, just as much as it is to the church in Colossians. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which What mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That your job is to make the name of Christ great among the nations, among the Gentiles. That's what you're doing. The the glory of the mystery that Christ is in you. Again, back to what Paul says. My life testifies that someone was dead and now he's alive. That is the goal. That we make much of the name of Christ. And all these things, it doesn't matter if your journey's over here, your journey's over here, your journey's over here. It's about making much of Jesus Christ, period. That's what it's about. And let me just say this as we close. And we're going to worship and we're going to be able to make much of him by singing. And I pray that some of you guys would sing. Because I see you. Sing like he's alive. And if he's not alive, don't sing. But if he's alive, sing. Because he hears you if he's alive. And he's watching and reading your heart. And he's honored by our worship. But let me just say this. Some of you have been coming to church here. Or maybe this is your first time for a long time. And we're so glad you're here. But you are just like Felix and Festus and Agrippa. You know what it says? Felix liked to listen to Paul. He would bring him in for two years and let him talk, but he never responded to the gospel. He was convicted, and he said, oh, come back later. Some of you are under the conviction of sin, and you're not dealing with it, and you're not repenting of it and putting your faith in Christ. And there's going to come a time where you've heard the gospel, and you've heard the gospel, and just like Felix, and, and, and eventually Felix is removed, and he, get, he doesn't hear it anymore. And history records that he never becomes a follower of Jesus. And if that is true, then today he is separated from God in hell forever. And he knew the plan of salvation. 
He heard it from the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, and he never responded to the gospel. Do not sit here week after week and hear us tell of Christ and tell of his sacrifice and tell of what he's done and just leave and not believe. Don't do that because you will forever regret it, forever. Believe today on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you, if you, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, recognize and repent of your sin and believe that Jesus died as a penalty to pay for it. And then he rose again, declaring that you can have eternal life just like he did. Do it today. If you've got questions, come grab me. All right, grab a guy with a, with a name tag or with a thing. We'll put you in a place. We'll, we'll answer your questions. But please, please don't sit here every week and hear the message of Christ and then leave and not believe. Let's stand and let's worship. Father God, you are good. You have opened our eyes. You have chosen us as your instrument. Now we want to worship through singing, and then we want to leave and worship through our lives. So I pray that you would just move in us. I pray, even as I hear rain out there, that you would slow it down as people leave. Just simple things like that to make it a little easier. But Lord, if that's the biggest sacrifice that we have today, that we get a little bit drenched coming to worship, then we will take it. Because you sacrificed yourself for us. Be glorified as we sing, as we worship in Christ's name I pray.